Section 32 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bev Stevens. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 32, Chapter 25. Great Britain, Prostitution at the Present Time, Part 1. Influence of the Wealthy Classes, Devices of Procuresses, Seen at a Railway Station, Organization for Entrapping Women, Seduction of Children, Continental Traffic, Brothel Keepers, Fancy Men and Spoonies, Number of Brothels in London, Causes of Prostitution, Sexual Desire, Seduction, Overcrowded Dwellings, Parental Example, Poverty and destitution, public amusements, ill assorted marriages, love of dress, juvenile prostitution, factories, obscene publications, census of 1851, education and crime, number of prostitutes, female population of London, working classes, domestic servants, needlewomen. Ages of prostitutes, average life, condition of women in London, charitable institutions, Mrs. Fry's benevolent labors, the corruption of court morals alone, and without circumstances of national weight and moment, has seldom, we take it, affected the bulk of the population. It is nevertheless undeniable that a lax morality and a fortiori a system of absolute profligacy among the wealthy classes of society will contribute in a significant degree toward the increase of prostitution in metropolitan cities it is in the service of her wealthy customers and patrons that the professional procuress is chiefly employed and stimulated by high gains she plies her vile calling and exerts all her hellish ingenuity to discover new sources of amusement and gratification for them. In Fletcher's Humorous Lieutenant, written in 1690, a court bawd is introduced reading her minute-book, and calling over the register of the females at her command. Chloe, well, Chloe should fetch three hundred and fifty crowns. Fifteen, good figure, daughter of a country gentleman, her virtue will bring me that sum, and then a riding-horse for her father out of it. Well, the merchant's wife, she don't want money. I must find a spark of quality for her. The representation of such character is out of vogue in these days on the English stage, but while the proprieties are observed, the omission is but a veiling of the subject. The reality exists, though unseen. In the London Times of July, 1855, an incident is thus related by a correspondent. I was standing on a railway platform at blank, with a friend waiting for a train, when two ladies came into the station. I was acquainted with one of them, the younger, well. She told me she was going to London, having been fortunate enough to get a liberal engagement as governess in the family of the lady under whose charge she then was and who had even taken the trouble to come into the country to see her and her friends, 
to ascertain that she was likely in all respects to suit the train coming in sight the fares were paid the elder lady paying both i saw them into the carriage and the door being closed i bowed to them and rejoined my friend who happened to be a london man about town well i will say said he with a laugh you country gentlemen are pretty independent of public opinion you are not ashamed of your little transactions being known what do you mean i asked why i mean your talking to that girl and her duenna on an open platform why that is miss blank an intimate friend of ours well then i can tell you said the londoner to me coolly her friend is madame blank one of the most noted procuresses in london and she has got hold of a new victim if she is a victim and no mistake i saw there was not a minute to lose i rushed to the guard of the train and got him to wait a moment i then hurried to the carriage door where the ladies were miss blank you must get out that person is an unfit companion for you madam blank we know who you are that was one victim rescued but how many are lost in another case the practices of a scoundrel named finn were made the subject of a public warning by the lord mayor of london from his judicial chair this fellow's plan was to advertise from abroad for ladies to go to cologne or other places on the rhine to become governesses in his family which was travelling and whose governess had unexpectedly left them or been taken ill or was otherwise got rid of the candidates were to pay their own passage to the place of rendezvous when the appointments of the situation were to commence in some cases in which the practices of this rascal had failed of their full effect he had succeeded in defrauding poor women of their funds and they had found the utmost difficulty in making their way home again while it is impossible to have any precognizance of the persons and circumstances among which these wretches find their prey some cases are peculiarly within the scope of their operations young females who have lost their natural protectors and are brought into contact with the world under their own guidance are easily imposed upon by the pretended friendship of these persons and being under a pretense of employment inveigled into their houses are there kept until their fall is accomplished by persuasion or force it is said that women even attend regularly at churches and sunday schools for the purpose of decoying female children they first accost them and interest them without making any direct advances the next time they proceed a little farther and soon invite them to accompany them a little distance when they lead them to a brothel they have been known to take the children away in the presence of the teacher who seeing them act as acquaintances had no suspicion of the real nature of their associations the london society for the protection of young females have recorded instances of children of eleven years of age being entrapped by procuresses into houses of prostitution those who are thus decoyed are not permitted to escape nor to go into the streets for two or three months by that time they are supposed to be incapable of retracing their steps 
or to have become reconciled to their mode of life, and are permitted to go or remain. Occasionally they are turned adrift to seek new lodgings, their places being supplied by fresh arrivals. Some of these children find their way home again, but the majority of them are, of course, irretrievably lost, and continue in the course into which they have been thus indoctrinated. The procuresses have agents in different parts of London, whose business it is to discover young persons, servant girls, and others, who are dissatisfied with their earnings and condition in life, and who may be considered suitable subjects. The number of servants out of place, in London alone, is enormous, many thousands in number, and as service is no inheritance, such a body constitutes a very favorable field of operations. The intermediate agents in these cases are small shopkeepers, laundresses, charwomen, and such others as, from their avocations, have the opportunity of becoming acquainted with young women in service. Common lodging-house keepers, too, residing in the suburbs of London, contribute their quota of assistance. Young women coming fresh from the country and sleeping in such places for a night receive recommendations to procuresses and brothel-keepers as servants. Intelligence offices for hiring servants, which in London are called servants' bazaars, and are not under any license, are visited by these people in search of new faces. In some cases, procuresses are found to act on behalf of particular individuals only. In one case, such a woman kept a small shop, to which she invited servant girls in the neighborhood after a little acquaintance. By her assistance, aided by liberal entertainment with wines and spirits, her employers, two men of property, were enabled to corrupt eight servant girls in a short space of time. A constant trade in prostitution is carried on between London and Hamburg, London and Paris, and London and the country. Three or four years ago a trial took place at the Central Criminal Court, London, of a man and woman who were engaged in the importation of females for purposes of prostitution. The prisoners were convicted. The details of the trial show that a regular organization existed. In some cases, Parisian prostitutes were hired in Paris for the London market by the ordinary agents in such contracts. In other cases, the parties in both capitals decoyed young women into their service on pretense of reputable engagements and shipped them over to their consignees. Of course, every care is taken in these matters to keep the transaction confidential, for although the English laws are practically most defective, still, in cases exciting any degree of notoriety, and in which the offence can be satisfactorily established by legal proof, prosecutions do take place. We cannot close this branch of our subject better than by once again quoting from the spectator, and giving a genuine letter, which, although written a century and a half ago, is just such a one as might, for a similar purpose, be penned at the present day. It as accurately describes the mode in which articles of trade in the procurous line are disposed of now as then. My lord, I, having a great esteem for your honour, 
and a better opinion of you than of any of the quality, makes me acquaint you of an affair that I hope will oblige you to know. I have a niece that came to town about a fortnight ago. Her parents being lately dead, she came to me, expecting to have found me in so good a condition as to set her up in a milliner's shop. Her father gave fourscore pounds with her for five years. Her time is out, and she is not sixteen. As pretty a gentlewoman as ever you saw. A little woman, which I know your lordship likes, well-shaped, and as fair a complexion for red and white as ever I saw. I doubt not, but your lordship will be of the same opinion. She designs to go down about a month hence, except I can provide for her, which I cannot at present. Her father was one with whom all he had died with him, so there is four children left destitute. So, if your lordship thinks fit to make an appointment, where I shall wait on you with my niece, by a line or two, I stay for your answer, for I have no place fitted up, since I left my house, fit to entertain your honour. I told her she should go with me to see a gentleman, a very good friend of mine, so I desire you to take no notice of my letter, by reason she is ignorant of the ways of the town. My lord, I desire, if you meet us, to come alone, for upon my word and honour, you are the first that I ever mentioned her to. Next to procuresses in this gradation of iniquity are the brothel-keepers, who, although often procuresses, are not necessarily so. Shakespeare, who included all human existence in the sphere of his observation, says of them, A bawd, a wicked bawd, the evil that thou causest to be done, that is thy means to live. Do thou but think what tis to cram a maw, or clothe a back from such a filthy vice. Say to thyself, From their abominable and beastly touches I drink, I eat, array myself, and live. Canst thou believe thy living is a life, so stinkingly depending? Many of these persons have been prostitutes themselves, and when past service in the one branch of business have naturally fallen into the other. Others, without having been such, adopt the trade from inclination or circumstances. The condition of these people, and the interior of their houses, are as various as the people themselves. At the west end of London there is a considerable degree of style. In the lower parts of the town they are sordid and filthy habitations, fit only for deeds of darkness. They are confined to private streets, alleys, and lanes out of the great thoroughfares. The law is usually put in operation in England against the brothel-keepers as the representatives of the whole class. As they get the chief profits of the trade, so they run all the legal risks. The indictments against them, however, are comparatively few. There is no public prosecutor in England, as with us. The police administration of the metropolis, perhaps the best organized, the most efficient and cheapest department of the public service, does not include the prevention of brothels within its duties, which are confined to the preservation of life and property. The prosecution of brothel-keepers and abolition of their establishments 
are usually undertaken by the parish authorities when the places are so conducted as to become a nuisance to the neighbourhood and police officers merely interfere to prevent the assemblage of prostitutes in the public streets or the solicitation of passengers by them virtually this provision is little better than a dead letter and the women evade it by walking when an officer is in sight and thus deprive him of the only proof which would enable him to make an arrest some of the girls who pay exorbitant board also stipulate to give their mistresses one half of their cash receipts which are frequently very large in the case of attractive women amounting sometimes to one or two hundred dollars a week the mistress is treasurer and the prostitutes rarely succeed in receiving back what ostensibly belongs to them the very prosecution before mentioned originated in a french girl's being cheated by the brothel-keeper the clothing is furnished by the mistress and for this she charges prices which absorb the entire earnings of the girls she even contrives to furnish them with such a number of showy and useless garments that she keeps them always in her debt and so has a lien on each to prevent her leaving as long as she is a profitable member of the establishment some girls who have been seduced have when entering on a life of prostitution extensive and valuable wardrobes the mistress runs them into debts of her own contracting and if they become dissatisfied with their treatment and desire to leave they are held for the debt by the common law of england all debts incurred for an immoral purpose are void but this law is of little value to those who are ignorant of its existence besides which the brothel-keepers have possession of the booty and thus effectually drive the debtor to an adjustment of the matters in dispute such of the brothel-keepers as have no lawful husbands form intimacies with some man whom they support in slang dialect there is a class of men called spoonies who support the women or furnish them with funds when necessary they set them up in business become responsible for their debts and assist them in all their difficulties the fancy men are those who do nothing for them but live at their expense the lower class of brothel-keepers have no spoonies but they invariably have fancy men who act as bullies and settle by physical force any disputes that may arise between the inmates and their visitors these men spend the day in taverns and the night in the particular brothels to which they are attached and are frequently felons of the deepest dye some of the brothel-keepers are married women and even mothers of families the husbands are lazy worthless wretches addicted to gambling and drinking and brutally indifferent to the sources from which their luxuries are supplied in some cases the wealthier individuals have been known to send their children to good schools away from home and to have kept them in ignorance of their own wretched vocation thus sin entails its own punishment the number of brothels in london has been variously estimated the whole number of houses at the last census was three hundred thousand and upward among them it was calculated and probably correctly that there were five thousand brothels 
including houses of assignation. The rents of these establishments vary as much as the houses and situations, from fifteen hundred down to one hundred dollars a year. In good neighborhoods we should be slow to believe that landlords had any previous knowledge of the purposes to which their houses are to be applied. Independent of moral objection, such a house deteriorates the character of the property. Indeed, the clauses in leases of the great London properties are very strict, and include all objectionable trades as causes of forfeiture. The owners of the houses are of all classes. The Almonry of Westminster, once the abode of Caxton, which within these six or eight years has been pulled down, was one of the vilest aggregations of vice and crime in existence. This was the property of the dean and chapter of Westminster Abbey. The common law of England, as already mentioned in the matter of dress, prohibits the recovery of the rents of houses let for immoral purposes. Many of the brothel-keepers themselves hire houses, furnish them, and sublet them. It has been made a matter of reproach that landlords should, even indirectly, derive income from such sources. But poverty and vice are closely allied. Where poverty exists, vice will come. It is impossible for a landlord to exclude any class of tenants in a particular neighborhood suited to them, and those who know aught about the improvement and ventilation of large cities and the breaking up of bad neighborhoods are well aware that they are accompanied with a fearful amount of extra misery to the very poor. In a subsequent portion of this work we have endeavored to analyze the causes of prostitution as it exists in the city of New York. It may be reasonably supposed that the same reasons would be applicable to the kindred people of Great Britain. We give the following, mainly deduced from English writers, as indicating the sentiments of the best informed in that kingdom, as to the sources of so deep-rooted an evil, which must be sought in a variety of circumstances, national as well as personal. A professional man, Mr. Tate, to whose pages we have turned for information as to prostitution in Great Britain, classifies the causes as natural and accidental. The natural he subdivides into licentiousness of disposition, irritability of temper, pride and love of dress, dishonesty and love of property, and indolence. The accidental include seduction, ill-assorted marriages, low wages, want of employment, intemperance, poverty, defective education, bad example of parents, obscene publications, and a number of minor causes. Without assenting to the classification, we will accept the enumeration. The operation of sexual desire on the female sex is a mooted question among English writers on prostitution. Whether it is latent and never powerful enough to provoke evil courses until it is itself stimulated and roused into energy by external circumstances, or whether it be an active principle impelling the ill-regulated female mind to sacrifice self-respect and reputation in the gratification of dominant impulses, has been frequently discussed. 
many consider that its influence on the inducement of prostitution is no less unsatisfactory of solution than the physiological problem alleging that those who have followed the bent of their natural appetites would undoubtedly prefer to ascribe their lapse to other circumstances this subject is treated more fully elsewhere and it is needless to repeat here the views there expressed that sexual desire once aroused does exercise a potent influence on the female organization cannot be questioned self-abuse which is a perverted indulgence of the natural instinct is well known to english physicians as being practiced among young women to a great extent though in a far less degree than among young men its frightful influences upon the latter have been the subject of the liveliest anxiety to those who have made the care of youth their profession and this source of trouble is shared to some degree by female teachers such subjects seem by common consent to be banished from rational investigation by the majority of people as if shutting one's eyes to the fact would prove its non-existence this false delicacy is more injurious than is commonly supposed for the unchecked indulgence in such habits is not only destructive of health but in the highest degree inimical to the moral feeling and directly subversive of all self-respect leaving but one step to complete the final descent seduction the effect of undue familiarity and too unrestrained an intercourse between the sexes cannot be exaggerated as paving the way for the last lapse from virtue it is precisely these familiarities which in ill-regulated minds excite the first impulses of desire and even where such a result does not immediately flow from too free an intercourse it breaks down that modesty and reserve which so much enhance the beauty of woman and constitute her best safeguard the inclined plane by which the female who permits the first freedom glides unchecked to final ruin though gradual is very difficult to retrace the unrestricted intercourse permitted or rather encouraged between the sexes at places of public amusement much facilitates the opportunities of seduction prostitutes frequently and we believe with truth allege seduction as the first step toward their abandoned course of life and the allegation itself should induce a sympathy for the misfortune of their present existence although in some cases the story cannot be implicitly believed at the same time there is no doubt that a heartless seduction is but too frequent a circumstance in such cases and contributes its sad quota of heavy account to prostitution it is a general opinion that cases of so-called seduction in england occur between employers and female servants and that of these are vast numbers by seduction in such circumstances is meant the inducement to do wrong by promises or other suasives in opposition to the commonly received idea which makes the fall the result of strong personal attachment in a work like this we must notice the largest definitions and cannot consistently limit ourselves to the inducement 
customarily brought forward in law proceedings, namely, a promise of marriage. In this sense, illegitimate children may be said to be the consequence of seduction. Certainly not all of them, however, because many persons, voluntarily and with their eyes open, enter upon cohabitation arrangements, but doubtless many are. Once seduced, of course, the female becomes herself the seducer of the inexperienced. The policy of English law of late years has been to compel the woman to protect herself, in the main a wise policy. But the balance of human justice is very unevenly maintained. The male, the real delinquent, incurs no legal punishment and but little social reprobation. Actions for seduction are very unpopular, and those brought bear but an infinitesimal proportion to the occurrence of the crime. The onus of proof in bastardy affiliations, of course, rests upon the woman. Of late years, the alterations in the law have thrown great difficulties in her way by what is called the necessity of corroborative evidence, namely, some kind of admission direct or indirect, or some overt act which will furnish oral or documentary testimony other than the woman's unsupported statement. This may be strictly expedient, but it renders the man almost irresponsible, if he only play his part with knavish prudence. Lastly, popular feeling is against charges of rape. Acquittal is very frequent and the usual rebuttal is to impeach the character of the prosecutrix. The opinion of one of England's greatest judges has passed into a proverb, No charge so easy to make, none so difficult to disprove. Queen Elizabeth's mode of proving her disbelief of rape is also expressive of public opinion. From the combination of these circumstances, it would seem that seduction must, almost as a matter of course, lead to prostitution, inasmuch as, in ordinary English parlance, the mother of a bastard and a prostitute are almost synonymous. Overcrowded Dwellings The natural impulses of animal instinct in both sexes seem to be implicated in the effect of crowded sleeping apartments, as met with in the habitations of the poor, both in town and country. In the latter we have the show, and sometimes the reality, of family life and virtuous poverty. In the towns we find abodes of poverty sometimes honest, sometimes in closest propinquity or intimacy with vice, and there too we have the dwelling-places of the lowest depravity and vagabondism. Those who have not given their attention to the condition of the poor, and the relation which their lives hold to the ordinary habits of decency and morality, have much difficulty in comprehending, or even believing, statements which embody the plainest everyday truths. It is hard to realize things as they are, if the mind has been full of ideal pictures of things as they should be. The dive ease of society has been often reproached with his ignorance of Lazarus. The sin lies exactly in that ignorance. 
as carlyle finally says the duty of christian society is to find its work and to do it negative virtue is of no practical use to the community but yet the ignorance is natural enough and no easier of removal than other ignorance it has been generally attributed to the wealthy and upper classes of society but it exists just the same differing only a little in degree in the middle class and moderately rich members of the english social system the misery and inconvenience which the poor suffer from the straitness of their domestic arrangements are beyond belief grown-up girls and boys sleep in the same bed brothers and sisters to say nothing of less intimate relations are in the closest contiguity and even strangers who are admitted into the little home to help in eking out the rent are placed on the same family footing this momentous question to the moral well-being of the poor has excited very lively interest in england and has called into active operation several philanthropic associations which have in view the employment of capital in improving and cheapening the dwellings of the working classes in london this system of close lodging was carried to a fearful pitch in some places from five to thirteen persons slept in a single bed while in the country the evil was nearly as bad although from the slight restraint imposed by family ties the actual evil is positively less though the moral contamination is of nearly the same extent and paves the way for other relations out of doors the facts which justify these conclusions are to be found in a variety of shapes parliamentary reports statistical tables appeals from clergymen addresses from philanthropic associations etc etc the honourable and reverend s o osborne a clergyman well known for his philanthropic exertions in behalf of the poor says of country life in england from infancy to puberty the labourer's children sleep in the same room with his wife and himself and whatever attempts at decency may be made and i have seen many ingenious and most praiseworthy attempts still there is the fact of the old and the young married and unmarried of both sexes all herded together in one and the same sleeping apartment i do not choose to put on paper the disgusting scenes that i have known to occur from the promiscuous crowding of the sexes together seeing however to what the mind of the young female is exposed from her very childhood i have long ceased to wonder at the otherwise seeming precocious licentiousness of conversation which may be heard in every field where many of the young are at work together mr a austin assistant poor law commissioner says the sleeping of boys and girls young men and young women in beds almost touching one another must have the effect of breaking down the great barriers between the sexes the accommodation for sleeping is such as necessarily to create early and illicit familiarity between the sexes without entering into disgusting details the pain of perusing which could add nothing to the value of the statements 
the conclusion is indisputable that much of prostitution if not of prostitution for hire certainly of prostitution from corrupt and profligate motives is engendered by the vicious habits induced by habitual proximity of the sexes in early life the prostitutes themselves frequently assign these habits as the commencement of their career of vice and some even admit the breach of the closest natural ties during early youth by reason of the two great facilities thus offered the great importance of this want of decency and propriety in family life cannot be overrated the contagious nature of vice is proverbial and it is almost impossible to imagine the power attained by ill-conditioned children and the fatal readiness with which their sinful words and practices are propagated the cheap lodging-houses are appendant to the close-packed dwellings of the poor although they do not produce the same early pernicious results as indecency and immorality in family life the latter prepare the way to the scenes of the common lodging-house in which the lowest depth of vice is speedily reached here prostitution is habitual a regular institution of the place the smallest imaginable quantities of food can be purchased adults youths and children of both sexes are received and heard promiscuously together the prices of beds are of the lowest from three to six cents no questions are asked and the place is free to all a newcomer is soon initiated or rather forced into all the mysteries of iniquity obscenity and blasphemy are the staple conversation of the inmates every indecency is openly performed the girls recite aloud their experiences of life ten or a dozen sleep in one bed many in a state of nudity indeed the details of these places are horrible beyond description unmitigated vice and lustful orgies reign unchecked by precept or example and the point of rivalry is as to who shall excel in filth and abomination example is the next immediate cause in what may be considered the natural series there are a few prostitutes who have children that these latter should follow the same course is quite in the common course of events although considerable anxiety is occasionally evinced by such women to have their children brought up to better courses such redemption is all but impossible in ordinary life however the mind of youth is often perverted by direct evil example in the elders and as we have already remarked the corruption of the human affections in their fountainhead family life where they ought to be sweetest and purest is more fatally demoralizing and more certain to ensure eventual ruin than almost any other fathers and mothers are both wanting often enough in their duty although it is a matter of universal faith that the influence and example of the father are of less importance than that of the mother a bad man may have virtuous children a bad woman hardly ever there are cases where the mother and daughter sleep in the same bed each with a male partner in the city of edinburgh there are two mothers prostitutes each with four daughters prostitutes 
five prostitute mothers, each with three prostitute daughters, ten such with two daughters each, and twenty-four such with one daughter each, all following the practices of the mothers. Such influences brought to bear on the young are irresistible. This may perhaps account for the number of sisters who carry on prostitution. The effect of mere sisterly example would be sufficient to account for the circumstance, but the parental becomes almost a compulsion, inasmuch as the parent, in such circumstances the mother, will not only connive at, but be the main cause of her child's ruin for her own direct profit and advantage. This, indeed, seems more accordant with our ideas of the natural tendencies of prostitutes and procuresses than that such persons should be excessively anxious for their children's purity and moral welfare. End of section 32